NBA on NBC. The What's up, everybody? This is Jim Milock, and you're listening to Pot of Fame, a podcast where we break down the resumes of former athletes and decide whether or not they should get a call to the hall. On today's podcast, we are breaking down the resume of former NBA power forward Horace Grant, deciding whether or not he should get into the Basketball Hall of Fame. And joining us in just a second to break down Grant's career is the current writer for Bulls.com and the author of the New York Times bestselling book, The Jordan Rules, Sam Smith. But before Sam joins us today, let's talk a little more about Horace Grant and his career. He played 17 seasons in the NBA from 1987 to 2004. He was a four-time NBA champ and started on all four of those championship teams, three of those for the Bulls in the early 90s and one for the Lakers in the early 2000s. He was a four-time all-defensive second-team member and a one-time all-star. Throughout his career, he had just under 13,000 career points, just under 10,000 career rebounds, and over 1,100 steals and 1,100 blocks. And the one stat I want to get to um, before we bring Sam on is actually something Sam and I don't get to uh, during this podcast, and that's his career win shares. During Horace Grant's career, he had 118.2 career win shares, which actually ranks 47th all-time in NBA history. There's actually only three players ahead of him on that list who aren't already in the Hall of Fame today or aren't automatic locks to be in the Hall of Fame like a LeBron James. So that puts him in pretty rare company. And throughout the podcast with Sam, we really do talk about how much of a winner Horse Grant is and all was. And, and also, you know, how much should winning be um, taken into account when you're breaking down someone's candidacy? So we will get into that a lot more in just a second. So that's the quick rundown on Horse Grant's career. So with that, let's bring on Sam. All right. So I'd like to welcome uh, to the podcast today, the current writer for Bulls.com, um, former longtime sports writer for the Chicago Tribune and author of several books, including the New York Times bestseller and one of my personal favorite sports books of all time, The Jordan Rule, Sam Smith. Sam, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks. Awesome. So, Sam, today's topic, of, of course, is, is the Hall of Fame candidacy of Horace Grant. But before, before we get to Horace, uh, and this relates exactly to him, I, I got to ask, you know, earlier this year, and I'm sure you've been asked this a bunch, the, the Last Dance documentary came out. It covered, you know, the MJ Air, the 98 season, and Horace Grant was a big part of those early 90s teams. But I got to ask, you know, you were in it a number of the episodes. If you had to give a Roger Ebert four-star ratings for that documentary just from pure entertainment value, how, how would you rate how that documentary, documentary went? Well, I'd certainly hardly be the only one. I thought it was great. Um, and, you know, I mean, obviously the difference for me – you know, it's like if someone done a documentary on your life story and, um, you know, ask you about it, you, you would know all the details. I mean, so I knew that. I know that's in that story well, having, uh, you know, been with the Bulls from the beginning, basically from when, you know, even before Jordan arrived, but certainly once Jordan arrived and uh, covering his entire career for the Chicago Tribune, like you mentioned, and, you know, even going with him when he went to Washington. Uh, finishing up, being in his first game there, his last game there, and uh, various others. 
love Washington, so it was good. The uh, Bulls were lousy then. I got to spend a lot of time in Washington. Um, but the, the great part about it, uh, I felt for fans, particularly not only in Chicago, Chicago, of course, because they could you know, revel in the success that's been missing for a long time, um, was that uh, you know, people got to see Jordan. Well, couple things. One, he told his story his way for the first time. He's really never done that. I mean, I've told his story, many, many others. TV has done it, but uh, here was him doing it. Um, you know, it was, he, he was executive producer and from what I understood, you know, involved in all the interviews, um, not doing him, but, you know, screening him. And um, being in that relaxed setting, it reminded me of how we saw Michael, how I knew Michael when he, when he came to the Bulls, you know, just this really uh, playful, fun-loving, uh, kind of uh, hard-edged innocent. And, um, you know, even though he was a little heavier <laughs> than I remembered him then, uh, you know, that casual, uh, you know, fun-loving attacking Jordan, uh, verbally attacking, was there to see, you know, as a background commentary on, you know, on all the events, uh, you know, of his career, essentially. It, because it, it really wasn't about the last stance, which I thought. I, I, I was confused when they initially had come around and done did interviews. I thought it was going to be basically on that last season. And it was essentially a biography, you know, kind of a documentary of Jordan's career. And, and uh, you know, basically built around that team. So, uh yeah, I thought it was a you know a terrific depiction. Obviously, any story about you that you're involved with makes you the hero. And Jordan's going to be the hero anyway because he was Michael Jordan, and we're still debating greatest ever. And if LeBron, you know, whatever LeBron does, and rises up again, um, so still he's the hero. But you know, like as they joked at the time, it, it was based on a true story. You know, you know, there were some elements left out, some put in. Uh, but all in all, it was uh, you know, it was great theater. Uh, it was great fun, and and, and it was uh, you know a great um, you know a, a terrific bomb kind of at that time. You know, with the, the start of the uh, uh, shutdowns of the virus and. Uh, sports basically be, be being eliminated. So the timing was great, but it, it, it would have been a great, uh, uh, you know, a documentary at any point. Yeah, and it definitely gave us something to look forward to when sports got shut down there. And, and this might be a dumb question, but was there anything across all those hours of the docuseries, that 10-part series, was there anything that you actually didn't know already or caught you by surprise or maybe you even forgot about or was everything you saw in all those episodes, you knew all that already? Yeah, I, I think I did. I, I, I mean, I didn't fully know. I mean, I did. I, I knew that, you know, the skeleton nature of his relationship with the uh, bodyguards, um, you know, because they were, they were always around. That's who we hung around with in that last three P. He didn't. You know, he didn't have the bodyguards, so the first to be Pete and, and the second three Pete when he came back and his uh, celebrity had grown to such levels. He had the five or six guys with him all the time. So, you, you know, I always, and, and I knew then they were both security guys for a long time. Um, but I, I, didn't, I didn't fully know the, 
uh, intimacy of the relationships you know, he had with them. I knew, I knew he wasn't very close with his teammates. He never went out with his teammates. And as you saw, he, um, he was with those guys all, all the time. And he really bonded with them, it, it, really because, you know, his teammates, for the most part, and with an older team, but, you know, Michael always, you know, was a very mature sort of young person and uh, close with his dad, you know, as he showed. And, and um you know, was more comfortable in the company of older people. And, and uh, you know, those security guys were, were older and, uh, you know, formed sort of a cocoon of protection for him. But he also liked that give and take with more mature guys rather than, you know, running around with some of the kids on the team. Not that they were kids with Steve Kerr and Bill Wennington, Longley, Judd Bushler, a lot of, you know, veteran kind of guys. Yeah. So, and, and I could talk about Michael Jordan all day, but um, the, the topic today is Horace Grant. So we'll get to that now. And he was, of course, Jordan's teammate on those first three championship teams before he left for Orlando. And then he actually won one later at the end of his career for the Lakers, um, along with Shaq and Kobe in 2001. So uh, what we're due today, uh, Sam, is we go through three short segments here in the beginning, and then we do case four, case against for the Hall of Fame candidacy of Horace Grant. So our first segment here, it's really just what comes to mind. So, so Sam, it's pretty self-explanatory. When I say the name Horace Grant, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? Uh, overlooked, um, uh, hard, you know, incredibly hard work. He sort of, sort of Horace uh, was the kind of, player we see so often and take for granted. No, maybe a pun intended briefly there. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we practice, we talk about and we celebrate uh, hard work in uh, those elements and uh, bonding and uh, glue guy kind of things. And, and Horace was all those, you know, for the teams he played on that, and it was, uh, you know, why he played on such successful teams so many times. You know, you know with the Bulls, obviously, um, a championship team with the Lakers. And, and then we basically replaced him with Carl Malone. They didn't win, uh, even though Carl Malone was a, you know, first first ballot Hall of Fame type player, uh, one of the greatest scorers in the history of the league. And, you know, Horace was... Uh, it's not completely overlooked, certainly not in that category, but yet providing the elements, uh, doing doing what's necessary to complement the other players. Um, and players like that, you know, there are many in, in, in sports that, who don't get the credit. And they get, you know, they got a lot of credit, he, he, you know, made money and famous, whatever. And so everybody gets credit. It's like nobody, you know, you hear go, oh, he doesn't get credit. And, Everybody gets some credit because they're they're uh, professional athletes, uh, but a player like Horace gets uh, overlooked, and it's, and particularly when you play with someone like Jordan or um, you know LeBron or Wilt, uh, they're you know whatever it is. Say Jordan scores thirty five points. Well, you know that you need one hundred and five points say, to win the game. You know there's a lot, a lot of the points being scored. You know somehow. And, uh, the other teams being stopped. You know, Jordan's not guarding five guys, or LeBron's not guarding five guys. But you know, when when you're in the company of superstar 
attractions like that. And that's why you see very few of their teammates usually make all-star teams because uh, they gather up so much of the oxygen uh, around a team and so much of the attention of the community and the media uh, that their teammates, not because of them, you know, they're not trying to do that necessarily, but just because of who they are, their teammates tend to be overlooked some. And, you know, that's, that was always an element kind of of Horace's career because he, he didn't need to do uh, all the scoring that usually gets you on an all-star team. Uh, he just needed to do the other teams. And, and we, don't, we don't generally in the media reward that. We like to talk about it and how important it all is, but then, <laughs> then we don't give anybody any prizes for it. Yeah, no, and, and you couldn't be more right on the, uh, you know, Jordan's shadow looms so large. And the, oh, actually, the, your point about the All-Star Games, the only All-Star Game horse ever made was the year Jordan retired in 94. And I think B.J. Armstrong made right. that team too as well. So that was the one year he left. And of course, Scotty was the guy then, but the other guys could actually get a little more, a little more recognition. Um, and that was the only year he got there. And, and to the point, too, of him underlooked, that's exactly what I have written down here, too. I mean, even when it comes to, you know, not even maybe getting in the Hall of Fame for Grant, but, but even being nominated, if you look at who gets nominated every year, you know, last year, for example, there's players on there. Horace Grant was not, for the record, nominated last year. Um, like, there's people on there from the 90s, like Muggsy Bogues, um, you know, Mark Jackson, Michael Finley, um, good, good players, but I don't think they honestly have the championship pedigree of a, of a grant or, I mean, I think they were similar kind of role players on some very good teams. They're all getting nominations and, and horse grants not. And, and I think, again, to your larger point, it, it's Michael Jordan. They were, he, they were playing along. These guys, none of these other guys I named were playing along Michael Jordan. They had a little more spotlight on them when they were playing and, around voting time that's coming up, but it is, you know, when I see those names of who's being nominated and Grant's name's not coming up, it is a little confusing. Um, when you look at their career numbers, they're, they're very similar, but then he has the championship pedigree that some of those don't. So I think overlooked is the best way to describe him. Well, yeah, no, it, it, it's a valid point. And, and the point is, you know, we'd like to, you know, I've been on some of those, uh, Hall of Fame committees over the years, and uh, even in the internal debate, what they like to do is in sort of a tiebreaker. They like to say the tiebreaker is championships. Um, you know, and Horace was on four championship teams. Uh, uh, starter, you know, wasn't like just you know come, you know, since I don't I don't, I don't know it was Glenn Rice or you know I think with the Lakers or maybe Glenn Mitch Rice, yep. and, you know guys, guys, you know signed on or you know, Gary Payton with the heat, uh, Antoine Walker, or whatever, you know, guys <laughs> sign on to pick up a championship. And Horace was, you know, a crucial starter um, on four championship teams, you know, major contributor. And, um, you know, that should be, that should be something that should be categorized well beyond individual achievement because that's you, you, all, you know, all these uh, discussions, like the All-Star game, you, you know, guys who put up great stats, don't get on, a lot of times with losing teams, don't make the team and do, and then the media uh, fan judgment uh, often is, well, you know, they haven't contributed to winning, or they're not about winning, they're losing team. Well, Horace is, 
uh, I don't know fully the records of his teams, but uh, historically, they're probably 65 or 70% winning percentages he's played on it. That's not, that's no comparison. And not, and not picking on him, say, but say a guy like McGrady or Mitch Richmond, you know, they have played on basically losing teams for most of their careers and get, get in the Hall of Fame. Now, you know, great individual talents, but that, that's the flaw, essentially the fatal flaw of the Hall of Fame, that for all the talk about winning, it's really about individual, personal, selfish achievement. Um, and that's why a lot of, you know, that's why a lot of players like Horace Grant, you know, a couple sneak in, um, but most of, them, most of them don't because basically when it comes down to it, if you're a player, uh, for everything that's, uh, you know, suggested to you by the media or fans or whatever about winning, it's not. If you want individual rewards, go score 30 points. Don't, don't, don't get on a winning team. Get on a winning team if you're the best player. But if you're not, don't get on a winning team if you ultimately want to be uh, celebrated because you're going to be celebrated more as a loser with a lot of points than you are as a winner with not so many. No, and, and that's very true with how the voting has been to date. And, and when we get to case four, I, I really want to hone in on that winning. But for now, I, I want to move to our next kind of short segment here. It's called That Memorable Moment. And, and Sam, what I try to do here um, every week is just try to find, you know, was there a key game playoff series season that really you you want to stand back and say you know that was a that was a hall of fame play or moment or season and, and for grant I, I have one run down here and it's just his series ending block at the in game six against phoenix that preserved the the third title in 93 um is there is there anything that comes to mind for you as like that is his moment that's that's his peak of his powers that's what we always kind of call back to if we're talking about the best moments of, of Horace Grant's career. Yeah, I know Horace's career very well. I've um, been friendly with uh, Horace for years. Um, and, and there is, a, you know, the play against Phoenix was obviously crucial, you know, game-saving play. Um, he, had, he had some huge games uh, in those series with Pistons. Uh, obviously, they were overlooked. Um, yeah, because of, you know, Jordan and the struggles, um, you know, everything um, going on. I remember in, in the 90 conference final, I, I, I think he, I, I know he, you know, he, I think he led, led the teams in rebounding, I think 89 in the, in, the, in the playoffs against Detroit. He had like a 18, 20 rebound game, had a number of double figure rebound games, but Really, to me, the sort of the magical moment was in a year. Again, the, uh, uh, it, it was in, in a year that he didn't win a title. Should have won a title. Yeah, that's the thing. That Horace was also on some finals teams that that lost in Orlando in '95, which to me um, was probably maybe the greatest team in the history of the NBA that didn't win anything. Wow. The Shaq and Penny. Yep. Uh, the magic of the mid nineties and, and in large part, you know, getting where they did because of adding Horace. And so, you know, what was the interesting juxtaposition was 
you know, probably a longer than one moment that you're asking for, but it leads up to it. Um, Bulls win 93 and Jordan leaves. So you know, back to the last dance thing. And um, they have this uh, great season and, and, you know, there's a questionable call in the second round. They, 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 li- they literally have a chance to win a title that year. Um, the way they were playing Scotty and Scotty got all the tension, but, Horace at, at power forward, again, overlooked. Um, but it's sort of like you, you can appreciate some people or things more after they're gone. And so the next season, the Bulls collapse. Horace, after 93-94, signed to the free agent to go to Orlando as their you know, final piece to join uh, Shaq and Penny. And so the Bulls collapse. They're a 500 team now. They've gone basically from uh, 55 wins and a chance to get to the finals in 93-94, potentially what's going to be one of the greatest stories ever, the team to get to the finals uh, after Michael Jordan leaves, um, you know, which Scotty got uh, deservingly a lot of credit for, but Horace completely overlooked. But when Horace left, they went back to being a 500 team. And actually, that's how they ended up going to get Dennis Rodman because Phil Jackson told the management that, they can't compete again, even if Michael comes back, unless they have a power forward to replace Horace. And, and that would ended up being Dennis Rodman and whatever. <clears throat> so anyway, Jordan returns in March of 95, famously, I'm back. And, and, and it looks like, of all things, the Bulls are going to go to the finals again, of course. And, you know, the mystery and the mastery of Jordan is that's, that's of course, the story. And so they win the first round series against Charlotte, good Charlotte team, and Alonzo Mourning and, you know, uh, potential Hall of Famers like Muggsy Bogues. And (laughs) so um, in the second round, they play the Magic. And um, uh, Horace has an absolutely dominant series. Horace is the best player in that series, had a a four-game stretch in which he averaged uh, 22 points and 14 rebounds wow. right up to the last game. Um, and basically hits the winning shot in, 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 in the United Center to put the Jordan out of the playoffs. And that leads to Jordan, you know, going to, to make the uh, movie, set up the basketball, you know, court and work himself into this frenzy to come back in 95, 96 to win. And um, it does beat the Magic, you know, and Shaq leaves and goes to uh, the Lakers at that point. But it was that series that Horace, that essentially Michael and Phil challenged Horace. They, 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 I mean, I know the granular history of not he's been there, but what they did was they challenged Horace, and a, a good part of it was Michael. Michael said, Horace can't make shots. Let's double off him. And they doubled off Horace and challenged him to make shots, and he did game after game after game and hit big shots actually every game they won. So even they had, even though they had Shaq and Penny, and Penny at that level was his very equal of Kobe. He was, he was Kobe's equal back then. Penny was a – Billy hurt his knee, was a fabulous player, would have been one of the greats of all time, and obviously Shaq. And yet Horace is a dominant player in that series that takes Michael Jordan out of the playoffs in his return. So I think that speaks to, given the spotlight, challenge to do it, Horace comes up big. And to me, that, that, that's, that's what Hall of Fame plays about.
Yeah, I think that's a perfect example of just, you know, he was capable of that even in big moments. And again, that's a team with, with Shaq and Penny, Penny Hardaway, where he still was technically, you know, the third best player, but he was able to outperform them um, at that time in a crucial spot when those players were pretty young in their career and he had all that essential playoff experience. And hey, he, he was probably the fifth, regarded as the fifth best player. And they had Nicky Anderson and Dennis Scott. You know, was, both big scorers. Was that you – know, what year so was that, it where Nick Anderson missed low, all those free throws? That wasn't that, that season, was that it? Was, yeah, that was the year, 95. <laughs> then they went to the finals against the Rockets. Should have should have won. Nick, Nick missed those free throws in, in that first game. And, uh, Kenny Smith hits a big shot, and they get into overtime and win and just sort of collapse after that. Um um, but yeah, I mean, Horace was viewed as the fifth option when he wasn't the third option on that team. And I mean, Nick was, you know, great score. Dennis Scott was the elite shooter of the, of the era. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Horace carried him over Michael Jordan. I mean, so, um, you know, that at a time when he was challenged and right after, you know, leaving Chicago. So he was, uh, not popular in Chicago at the time, you know, he was the one being, he, Jack wasn't being booed. You know, he was being booed every game. So he did it, you know, under that kind of pressure too. So back then he wasn't getting the, uh, nowadays they do the montage when someone comes back to the, the team celebrating their time. Oh, no, they, that was not happening. No, there was then. a lot, there was a lot of bitterness about it. You know, he had left. It, it had been controversial about the, uh, how the contract got worked out and did he, had, he, had he made an agreement to return and whether he did or not. And, and so there was a lot of embittered back and forth. The irony of the time was they used to accuse Horace of a blue flu thing yep. uh, and say that he didn't want to play. <laughs> he, he averaged like 73, 74 games a season. <laughs> you know, so it just tells you about the ethic of how the game has changed. Back then, now, if you play 74 games, you're an Iron Man. <laughs> None of the stars play 74. You know, they all just take off load management or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, that, you know, and, and part of the deal was, you know, Horace always had to defend the toughest guy on the floor. And what got overlooked, you know, he had to play 94 feet of defense, you know, because he, you know, he had the bigger guns who played full court, you know, Jordan and Pippen. They played defense basically from the free throw lines, sure. you know, because they, they shot them there and also defended and played the lanes. So Horace was always the one, you know, the Bulls' success as a defensive team, and that gets overlooked on the championship. They were a better defensive team than they were offensive team. You know, with Horace, uh, Michael, and Scotty trapping in the backcourt and then having to recover, you know, and Michael and Scotty, no offense to them, but they didn't have to recover to the, to the, to the back baseline. <laughs> Horace did. So he's running, he's running full court defending uh, on top of all that, which is completely overlooked. Yeah, no, it, it definitely was. And again, back to being overlooked. Um, so before we get to the kind of the, the, the case for case against the last short segment we have here is called and twins. No quarterbacks eating dirt. Pom-poms and short skirts. Fans who won't quit. And those twins. And Sam, the only thing here is, is, is there anyone in the Hall of Fame today that, that reminds you of or, or played similarly to Grant or has a similar resume in terms of 
championships or, or accolades? Well, one, one who, to me, who would be somewhat similar, uh, he, he was more celebrated because of the All-Stars or, or whatever, but would be Bobby Jones, um, who I think recently got in the last couple of years. Yep. Um, but was a role player, you know, defensive particularly. I think Horace scored more than he'd scored. You know, Bobby used to start games um, for the Sixers, as I recall, but then they'd take him out early. He'd play in nine minutes and then come back and start the second half or something. Didn't play quite as many minutes, but, you know, was a defensive uh, role player around stars, you know, playing with Moses, playing with Doc, uh, Maurice Cheeks, who got in the Hall of Fame. Um, uh, what's the name? This, I think, and I the shooting guard would have been a Hall of Famer, didn't hurt his foot. Um, you, but, you know, a completely loaded Sixers team. Um, and, you know, but the difference with Bobby is he, he got, he, Hall of Fame voters, and like I said, I've seen this process in action. Uh, a, lot, a lot of the voters, uh, you know, because they get ballots around the country, really didn't see a lot of these players play. And so they start looking up the records and they say, well, you know, how many all-star teams, how many all-defensive teams? And, you know, Bobby got included on a lot of those, which Horace didn't. I think he was three or four all defensive teams. Like you said, just one all-star team when Jordan left. So, um, you know, he passed muster on those things. But, you know, they were similar in more in not, not completely the style of play, but their roles for the team, what they meant for the team, how they played and the gaps they filled. And um, the other thing you know, we didn't discuss uh, that, that I think would make, you know, Horace a Hall of Famer. Maybe, maybe you say there's another segment, maybe I should wait and get to that. So there's a segment about should you be a Hall of Famer or not? Yeah, let's wait. It's right after this. So we're going to get to that in just a second. I just want to make the point. Bobby Jones is an excellent, an excellent call here. I actually overlooked that quite a bit. And, And Bobby Jones was on 11 all defensive teams, as you said, Horace Grant was on four, but if you look at their actual, I mean, and Bobby Jones only won one championship. He was a member of that 83 Sixers team, but Bobby Jones, like statistic wise, which I think is a big knock against Horace Grant, Bobby Jones career average was 12 points per game, six boards. Um, Horace Grant was almost exactly the same. It was 11 points and it was eight boards. And then his defensive numbers actually look better. If you're just looking at stuff like blocks and steals, so that's a great comparison. The ones I had down, I was just looking at um, people that were part of championship teams. Um, like from the, I was actually looking at the early 70s when the Knicks won those two titles. You know, a lot of those players um, got in the Hall of Fame, and some of them rightfully should just based on stats alone, like Walt Frazier and Willis Reed. But when you look at people like Bill Bradley and even um, Dave DeBoucher, like Dave DeBoucher, I think he was a better player than Horace Grant. But, you know, he wasn't the, the main scorer. He was a great defensive player. He was a little different player because he could shoot the ball from a distance where Horace couldn't. But those are guys who played a major role on some championship teams. Um, and they don't have, you know, crazy accolades. They don't have crazy career stats. But they were part of that winning culture and winning team that propelled them to the Hall of Fame. Again, maybe they ju- there just wasn't someone on that team like a Michael Jordan 
that overshadowed them. They were looked at as more of a team where the Bulls were looked at more as Jordan and, and maybe Pippen. No, I'll tell you why. And those are good examples. Um, you know, Bradley, they sort of made the case also because of college and yep. what he did at Princeton and, and like that. And you're right, you know, the, the Busher. I, I knew those teams well, having been in New York at the time um, where I grew up. Uh, but those, those guys, and, and you can make the case for it, but there was incredible Hall of Fame bias for the East Coast then. Yeah. Uh, Celtics obviously dominant you know, early on, and justifiably they've won. But uh, the Hall of Fame voters almost exclusively did not have Midwestern Western voters back then. They only knew the Eastern teams. Sure. And so if you looked at some of those classes that went in back then, it was all players from the East, you know, a huge number. And so the Knicks were a very popular team among the media. Media was voting. The majority of the media was located in New York, you know, they celebrate, I know, you know, like in Chicago, you know, our community celebrates this 85 Bears team in football, NFL, like, you know, like it's, you know, something, you know, we still talked about it among all others. And that's the way it is. Now, you, with the Knicks, they haven't won for 40 years. So I, that's a reason why the fans mm-hmm. keep going back to those early 70s teams. But those teams, you know, get celebrated out of proportion and they were honored out of proportion. Uh, because they were such media favorites. Um, and so, you know, maybe those guys were deserving, maybe, you know, maybe some more marginal, but, uh, you know, a guy like the Busher, you know, Bradley, they made the case for because of college, because it's the Hall of Fame's about, uh, it's not the NBA Hall of Fame, it's basketball Hall of Fame. So you do things in college, you do things overseas, even high school, it justified, but you're right. It, 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 the busher could make a corner, th- what would be a three now, corner three, you know, but he was like the, you know, fourth option, fourth scoring option, you know, if there be, be, be a Dick Barnett first and Earl Monroe, you know, with Reed and Frazier too. So, yes, he was primarily a defensive role player, got, a, you know, got some little better numbers um, and, I guess he played. He played on two title teams. Played on a '73 team too. I think yep. probably he was on the '73 um, team. Right, and you know, is the youngest. Thank you, case I think was the youngest player coach uh, when he in Detroit. He was, you know, briefly a player coach, but but of course, before he went and joined those other players, he was in last place. And I, you know, I wouldn't uh, sort of demean him, but it, yeah, it's a, it, it's a reasonable choice. But uh, there's a lot of uh, voting bias, uh, as I recall back then. And uh, I've never, <laughs> the East Coast voting bias makes a lot more sense now with the Bill Bradley going to Princeton. That all, that all fits together and how he, he got in. Um, so, so, Sam, you just alluded to this a little bit ago. Our final segment here, it's really, it, we call it court. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! And what we do in court is it's just case for, case against. So I believe you are going to make a point around a reason Grant should be in the Hall of Fame. So uh, take it away. Yeah, one thing about the Bulls clearly were a dynasty. You know, the 90s Bulls were a dynasty. Yep. And the history of every dynasty, and there's only been, I think, five. You know, obviously the Bostons had several, you know, the Lakers 
you know, Boston in the 60s and then the 80s with, you know, Bird and uh, Lakers, you know, weren't winning with West and Baylor, you know, and, and um, but then with, you know, Magic, they did. Um, and then, the, you know, the Warriors, you know, recently, and I guess you could make a case uh, for the Spurs, even though they didn't, they didn't win any consecutive, you know, they had five titles in there. But basically, every every one of those teams had a big three, and all of the big threes are Hall of Famers. You know, Magic, Ward, the Kareem, Bird, Mikhail, Parrish. Obviously, the Celtics, you know, in the '60s had like ten Hall of Famers, <laughs> like put everybody in. Yeah, they got. Um, you know, <laughs> they but, but so you can't count. Yeah. But Curry, you know, and it was a limited number of players in the league, and they won every year, so you can justify it. You know, but Curry, Thompson, and Duran are all going to be in the Hall of Fame. You know, Robinson, Duncan, and actually, you know, Manu going to be in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, the Bulls had a big three. You know, it was clearly a big three. It was Horace, I mean, it was Michael, Scotty, and Horace. And, and it, was a, it was a big three for a championship team that, that became a dynasty. And so, you know, on that level alone, on that basis, they would be the only dynasty that, that, that didn't have, you know, a big three in the Hall of Fame. And uh, so that, that's how I would make a case. I don't think Horace is going to get ever get in the Hall of Fame. You know, like you pointed out, he didn't get nominated compared to guys like Muggsy Bogues or something, uh, which I, I wasn't even aware of. Um, you know, but 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 uh, what what will forever work against him, and that's why I appreciate your doing this, uh, will forever work against him and players like that, like him. Um, you know, there are a lot of winners. You know, Robert Ory, you can make a case for for the Hall of Fame, you know, because of, he, 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 you know, his, now he moved around a lot, but everywhere he went, he made a big shot that helped his team, you know, ultimately. Uh, but players like that, uh, when it gets down in history and, and the committee sit down and they look at the record and they go, well, he only made one all-star team or, oh, he only made, you know, two all-defensive teams. They, they're not celebrated traditionally by a different group. You know, the media evokes those things for the most part um, and, you, you know, tends to, uh, tends to overlook or tends to reward uh, a lot of those uh, players, particularly the players who play in the shadow of so many great, great players. So, uh, you know, a player like Horace Grant doesn't have uh, the resume, uh, you know, meaning, you know, only like only all-star appearances or all the scoring titles, say like a Mitch Richmond. Uh, so, so he, he gets eliminated when, when the committee sit down and they go through and they add up, you know, the Emmy awards or the Oscar awards and they say, well, he doesn't, he doesn't have any. We can't put him in the Hall of Fame. We can't give him a lifetime award. But if you look at his track record and what his teams did and how much he meant to those teams, uh, there should be uh, those those players should be honored. But they basically, for the most part, have never been honored uh, by the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and I was. <laughs> Earlier, I, I have the exact – the dynasty thing you went through, I have that those exact same notes down here. So when you jumped into that, I thought you were somehow looking off my, my notes here. But um, that, those 50, 60 Celtics teams that you were talking about, uh, nine Hall of Famers, so they pretty much have almost inducted those entire teams right. um, into, into the Hall of Fame. The only dynasty 
um, that really happened because you went through them all. The, the Lakers with Kobe and Shaq, those are the only two kind of top, top guys. Like Glenn Rice is in the Hall of Fame. Um, and then, you know, the third best player on those last two championship teams there was like, was honestly like Derek Fisher, who is not in the Hall of Fame. So out of all the dynasties right. you went through, that's the only one other than the Bulls' first one. But I want to get to a, to a couple of stats here, kind of just pulled up, you know, it is, it is tough when he doesn't have the personal numbers as, as we keep going back to, but you know, the four championships, that's a little rarer than I thought. Only, only 37 players in NBA history have four championships or more. And about 70% of those players who have four championships or more are in the hall of fame or are automatic locks to be in the Hall of Fame. So there's only 12 players who have four championships who are not in the Hall of Fame, and only one of them has made an all-star team, and that's Horace Grant. So the other 11 are complete, you know, completely role players, were never good enough to make an all-star team. The only one is his Horace Grant. And I know it's only one, but still it shows that he was an actually, you know, based on everyone else in the Hall of Fame already, championship-wise, he maybe should get a little more consideration around that fact. And, and yeah, so- no, that, that's, a, that's a, a great statistic I was unaware of. And also, you know, he also made another finals, and so with Orlando, you know. So, yes. again, if that, if that Orlando, if, if, you know, if Nick Anderson hadn't missed those free throws, maybe <laughs> he'd have titles with, you know, three different franchises being, being a starter. Um, you know, and so, you know, the, the other, I mean, and, and, and to point out, I, I've tried to make this case a couple of times, and it, and it, it doesn't even resonate particularly with Chicagoans, you know, which is where I live uh, still. But his number hasn't been retired by the Bulls. You know, know. The, Bulls, the Bulls aren't even recognized. <laughs> you know, so they look at it and, don't, and they don't think – they don't think he, he's even worthy of having his number retired, which he should, um, because he was a key element of multiple championship teams. And so it, it just shows you, you know, the bias of the basketball community uh, against guys without numbers. And, and uh, you know, I, I go back, unfortunately, you know, for all, all the talk that uh, numbers get about empty numbers, Numbers do matter to the voters. And, um, you know, like we talked about before, um, you know, a guy like Bobby Jones, you know, gets got honored uh, in great part because he made a lot of, you know, all defensive teams and I don't know how many all-star teams. Um, But, you know, we we give short shrift a lot of occasions uh, for players, you know, like Horace or, you know, maybe Derek Fisher, uh, who you mentioned, hit a, you know, hit an incredible big shot in one of those series and they won a title, um, you know, just because of whatever the circumstances are. So a couple more questions for you here. So we're talking about his importance to the team overlooked. Keep, we keep hitting back on that. Sam, as someone who was around the Bulls during this time, you were watching all the games do you think on the 91, 92, 93 championship Bulls teams, if Grant, let's say, doesn't get drafted by the Bulls, and let's say you just replaced him with Scott Williams, who, who was on the bench during those Bulls teams in the starting lineup, do, do the Bulls win all three of those championships? Do you, do you think they still win them? 
with a replacement player like Scott Williams in there instead of Horace Grant? We'd lo- you know, the, uh, the narrative would have been, yeah, of course, because of Jordan. <laughs> Um, but I'm not, I'm not so sure. Actually, what happened at that draft, you know, it's a famous Chicago story, is that Jerry Krause, the general manager, who was, you know, in the Hall of Fame and, uh, you know, did some great things, uh, did not want Horace. He wanted Joe Wolf from North Carolina. And um, Jerry was close with Dean Smith. Dean Smith was making a big case. It was one of the few times the irony was Michael didn't want a North Carolina guy. <laughs> on the team he always did and um the bulls were about to pick joe wolf and uh, doug collins was very influential in this phil jackson was an assistant on the staff and uh, doug had made an appeal uh, to ownership at the time and said that's a mistake we need horace grant we need the athlete um and uh kraus uh kraus made the choice and he to his credit uh, came around and accepted the uh uh, the logic of the staff, and they and they picked Horace over Joe Wolf. Um, I'm not sure Joe Wolf would have survived from then to '91 when they were winning, but uh, as I said before, uh, the Bulls. The primary reason of Michael Jordan, which is a big reason, but the way that team was built, it was built as a defensive team. Uh, its success was because of its defense, particularly. And that was in great part because of Scotty and Horace. Obviously, Michael, great defender, everything. But what they added defensively, because Scotty wasn't an offensive player. And so, uh, you know, you had Scotty, Horace, and Bill Cartwright, all defensive oriented players uh, that made the difference. So, uh, yeah, I think you can make that case because, you know, not only Horace was influential, uh, you know, the third. Uh, the third element, you know, of the way the team was constructed and performed, um, it, you know, but, 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 uh, you know, also who he had to defend, he was always defending, you know, the, the, the toughest, the toughest uh, uh, player on the, the toughest big player on the other team. Uh, you know, the most aggressive, bigger score, whatever the case, you know, he would switch on to. So uh, to have somebody like that, you know, who could run the court athletically, you know, with Michael and Scotty, uh, and, and the Bulls fast break was very famous, you know, with that group, uh, but also be able to just trap and defend like they did and to take an athletic, you know, big on the other end. Uh, that's an important element. And just the notion of, the year Horace left, the team essentially collapsed from a 55-win team to a team that was barely 500 until Jordan returned, demonstrates the immediacy of his impact. No, it, it really does. And then the last thing I want to get to here, you know, when I even think back to the Bulls, uh, they won the six championships in the 90s. You know, I, I always think of Scotty, Dennis, and, and Rodman as, as the big three. And of course, Rodman came around for that second three P and kind of filled the role that Horace did for the first three. However, if you really look back, and I think the last dance really showed people that don't follow basketball too closely, you know, all the extracurricular activities Rodman had going on in the 98 championship, at least. Um, and you look at some of Rodman's numbers, they weren't as impressive as I maybe originally thought. And, and of 
course, he's in the Hall of Fame, I think, more honestly for his time on the Pistons than on the Bulls. But would you say, I guess, who would you say had a larger role in the three championships they won for the Bulls? Do you think Grant played a larger role for the Bulls, or do you think Rodman played a larger role for the Bulls? Well, it really wasn't even close. I mean, I know, you know, because of Dennis and he drew so much attention to himself and all of that. Yeah, he's in the Hall of Fame for what he did with Detroit. And um, I mean, uh, he, I don't, he, he didn't make an all-star team with the Bulls. I know that. I think he did a couple of times with Detroit, I think. Um, didn't even start. He wasn't even a starter on some of those Detroit teams. But obviously leading the league in rebounds and, and the numbers he put up. Um, but, and, I, and I know because of, of the affection the media and the fans had for Dennis, uh, his contribution was, was considerably outsized. Tony uh, uh, Kukoc was a much more vital player on that second three-peat than Dennis. And in fact, that Horace, uh, Dennis, uh, excuse me, Tony had to play power forward most of the time because Dennis was out so much between his suspensions and his injuries. You know, he, he missed like 50 games the first two seasons. It was with the Bulls when they won. So, I mean, they could barely count on him half the time, not only because he was going off to Vegas or whatever the last dance showed, uh, but between the suspensions and a lot of injuries he had, I think he missed like 20 games the first season, and then he missed like 25 games the next season. So he, he was just a part-time player half the, you know, a lot of the time. And so it was Tony who was playing all those big minutes at power forward when he was really a point guard. You know, Tony did a tremendous sacrifice. And Tony will be in the Hall of Fame. Tony, talking about overlooked guys, I don't want to get to another story, but Tony might be the over, most overlooked guy in the history of the game, not to be in the Hall of Fame, because what he did in Europe, what he did with those Bulls teams, how much he sacrificed. And basically, he was he – was, he, he, because he wasn't a, a favorite of the media and, you know, not a great English speaker at the time and everything um, was sort of ignored, you know, because of Dennis with all his antics and, you know, all the off the court stuff. But Tony was a much more valuable player on a, from a basketball standpoint for those second championship teams that Dennis was. I, uh, I thought we were about to go into a Tony Kukoc episode, which I am trying to get scheduled because he definitely has a very strong case, uh, but that is definitely for another day. And then, you know, Sam, we, we've gone through, like, that was a case for the case against. I think we've hit most of these points. You know, he just doesn't have the, the accolades that most people in the Hall of Fame do. And as you said earlier today, it's almost, you know, if you're a little more selfish in your team where you're doing everything yourself, even if you're not winning, you get in. Um, we've gone over it time and time again, but only one all-star team, four all-defensive second teams, and if you even look at his best statistical season in his career, um, it was that 94 season with the Bulls, but he averaged 15 points a game, 11 boards and three assists, all career highs. But of course, that's nothing close to what most Hall of Famers would call their best season. And then even if you look at his career, he played 17 seasons in the NBA, but he didn't even, you know, accumulate that high of stats if you look at NBA history's 204th all-time in points with just under 13,000. 47th all-time in rebounds with just under 10,000 and 67th all-time in blocks with just over 1,100. So again, great statistics, but um, I would say most would say not Hall of Fame worthy. And if he wasn't on championship teams, I don't think we'd even be having this conversation, but 
again, we've talked about championships are, are very important. And I think are a little bit overlooked today by the Hall of Fame, which um, seems a little backwards as I, I know when we're looking at um, some of the best players of all time, all we care about is how many championships they have. That's the biggest knock probably against LeBron right now compared to people like Jordan and others. Um, so it is weird that it, for the best of the best, that's all that matters. But um, if you're a second or third best option on a championship team, it doesn't seem to hold as much weight, um, especially in Horace Grant's case here. So um, with that, Sam, the last thing I usually ask people, you know, final verdict um, uh, of whether or not Horace Grant is a Hall of Famer, I like to ask two questions here. It's one, do you, do you personally think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame? But then the second question is, do you actually think he'll ever get into the Hall of Fame? I don't, I don't, I don't believe he'll ever get in the Hall of Fame and um, probably doesn't deserve it on the, on the basis of the way the Hall of Fame has set up its standards. And to get in the Hall of Fame, you have to be a multiple all-star and multiple uh, multiple individual, you, despite the um, emphasis, and as you say, on, on winning and being a part of winning, the Hall of Fame is about individual achievement. And maybe it should be. And actually, I think the All-Star team has become, uh, the NBA All-Star team this season has become perverted because they put you on the All-Star team as you're standing next to a great player. Uh with what you did, and they, they eliminate a lot of the others when they're on losing teams. Well, what the Hall of Fame is essentially says is that we're going to celebrate individual greatness. And, you know, in a way, that, that is what the Hall of Fame is, you know, individual greatness. And so based on that and based on those standards that the Hall of Fame has historically and traditionally supported, then no, then Horace doesn't, wouldn't qualify in that. But I, I, I think he – I think – Personally, he can feel like a Hall of Famer, what he's contributed, but uh, I, don't, I don't think he will be in Springfield. <laughs> and, and I agree with you on both points. Um, I, do think, I do think he deserves a nomination, especially as I went through earlier, some of the people that are getting nominated. Um, nothing against them, just I, I think he has a case just as much as, as, a, as, a, as a Muggsy Bogues or a Michael Finley or players like that. But, yeah, when I look at um, – you know, he has those championships, but even when I look at uh, something I usually do on most episodes, I look at the contemporaries, right? Who else was playing his position at the time? And I, I kind of made a list of the 90s uh, power forwards. And even if I take out people like Duncan and Garnett and Weber, who I think of more as 2000 players, even if I take them out of the equation, I still have him listed as like the, the eighth or ninth best power forward from a decade. And a lot of the people below him on that list are definitely not getting in. So it's tough for me to say, I think he deserves to get in too, but I, I, for his sake, and honestly, just to bring a little light to his career, just because I feel like he does get overshadowed so much as we keep saying, I hope one day he at least gets a nomination. But as you said, as the hall is today, I don't see him getting in and I don't think he should be in either. Yeah. So, but, so that's to your credit that, that uh, you, you've given him a nomination and I think Horace would appreciate that. <laughs> so I think that's appropriate enough. So, uh, uh, but he, he had, he's had, he had a great career. He's a part of a lot of championship celebrations. And um, I think, you know, uh, for the most part, that's, that's 
you know, what that should be about. So, um, you know, we set up the standards, these things, and there have been a lot of great actors and actresses who have not gotten Academy Awards, um, but they've had great careers. And so that, that while that's considered, you know, the ultimate achievement, uh, I think, you know, there are other ways of measuring it because it's, you know, it, it's, you know, it's still one class of voters. And um, so, uh, yeah, no, I, so I, I, I think Horace has, Horace has had a exceptional, exceptional career that's led to a lot of success. And perhaps I guess lesson in it is not necessarily, you know, to, to be selfish and play for yourself to get in the Hall of Fame, but of that I think, you know, someone like Horace Grant or, uh, you know, some others in, in those cases, maybe Robert Ory or Eric Harper, you know, can have the individual satisfaction that they contributed to something great. And, um, you know, that's Hall of Fame worthy. Yeah, and he might never get in the Hall of Fame, but at least he has those four rings at home. So, Sam, I, I really appreciate you joining today to talk about Grant. Before I get you out of here, I got to ask, because we do have a lot of Bulls fans that listen in. Billy Donovan, are we excited about that coaching hire? Yeah, no, it's not Phil Jackson <laughs> but, uh, or, Pat, or Pat Riley. But, yeah, I, th I think the community uh, is encouraged. I, I don't know if it's excited quite yet, you know. Billy's had a, a, a you know a nice you know run with Oklahoma City, um, you know, but he had extraordinary talent. I mean, you know, I'm talking about Hall of Famers. He had a Hall of Famer on, I mean, which is I really didn't even realize it until I was uh, thinking about it when he was when they were hiring. But he had he had a Hall of Famer on every team he coached, um, from Durant and Westbrook, and you know, on to you know uh, Paul George, and now you know, Chris Paul last season. So I don't think there are any Hall of Famers on the Bulls roster currently. So maybe Zach, who knows. But uh, he's not going to have that. I, I think actually that's part of the attraction, that he wanted to get to a team where he can uh, deliver more his coaching rather than coaching around what the Stars felt like doing. Um, so it's still, it, to me, it, you know, a test to see um, how he fits and how they fit with them. But he's a pro coach. He's he, more than experienced. He's, he, he's, you know, he's probably uh, really, you know, other than this, even in, way back through Phil and Doug Collins, you know, other than Scott Skiles was really the only uh, experienced uh, winning coach that they've hired in you know, 30 or 40 years since what Kevin Lockery made back in Michael's first year. So I, I think it's encouraging, uh, you know, for the franchise. And I think it lends a lot of professionalism, you know, which I think we're seeing with the new management and I think with the structure they're building. And so now, uh, but those guys don't play. <laughs> so now it's a matter of seeing whether they get the right players and, and whether the players they have can produce more than they have. Yeah, no, um, you know, I, I think they, I think they needed a change definitely, but um, it's, <laughs> we needed to get off Jim Bowen. Let's put it that way. Well, you know, you shouldn't, you, I know Boylan was unpopular. 
people out, some fans didn't like him. But it's unfair to judge Boylan really to me because it was just an aberration. He was only coach. He didn't he, he didn't coach one full season. I mean, I mean, you really can't judge anybody. I mean, he literally never had one full NBA season as coach. So, and the team was in transition. They had this incredible number of injuries. Nobody ever played a full season. Marketing, you know, Carter, all the top draft picks, they played half seasons. Otto Porter, they traded for, didn't play at all, basically. And so whatever Jim was or wasn't, to me, it's, it, 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 it's, it's not uh, reasonable to judge him in that respect, nor Fred Hoiberg, because a year after Fred came, they decided to go for losing. Yeah, I mean, the fan, with the fans, uh, you know, endorsement, you know, the only time the fans were ever mad about stuff I wrote is when the Bulls were winning. <laughs> they wanted them to lose all the time. You know, the Sixers model. So I, I don't think the last two coaches had a chance to be representative. And, um, you know, I would judge Billy against Tom Thibodeau because then that's, that's what Billy's getting a chance to do. Now, then that Derek Rose, but you know, he's getting a chance to be that. And that's where I would go back to. Uh, Fred and Jim were just sort of in a transition period where they had events uh, that were too big for them to even be allowed to have any success. Oh, that's, that's completely fair. All right, Sam. Well, thank you very much again for joining. Um, anything, anything you want to plug before you get out of here? Uh, well, yeah, actually, I would. Uh, I don't have to, but uh, I helped. I wrote there. Uh, helped there. Rose with his autobiography. Uh, he added a chapter, uh, which um, Triumph Books in Chicago is putting out a paperback version of, and uh, comes out next month in November. You can pre-order it now on uh, Amazon. I know. In fact, I just got the, literally. I just got sent a copy. You know, the first copy of it, and he talks about um, you know the social issues uh, after the murder in Minneapolis and his transition to Detroit and where he is. So it's right up to date, basically, to you know pretty much uh, through the virus and you know into this fall already. So. Um, it'll be available in November, and so it's a good addition to the uh, I'll Show You autobiography that I helped Eric with that came out about a year ago. And there's also actually a new, uh, not version, but a, a new uh, paperback of the Jordan Rules. I think it's going to come out in November also with, uh, I wrote a, uh, a new chapter about the last dance <clears throat> that I added to that. So, um so while I was basically doing nothing the last six months, I did a little bit. So anyway, it sounds like so usually, it I'm, not, I'm not big on I'm not big on promoting myself, but I, I will mention those two things. No, you should, and I mean I'll probably pick up myself the uh, at, at minimum the second copy of or the new reprint of the Jordan Rules. I, I've reread that quite a number of times, so uh, I'll definitely be picking it up. So everyone, make sure uh, pre-order. Uh, Book on Derrick Rose. If you haven't read the Jordan Rules, I strongly advise you to read it. Uh, it's what honestly really got me into um, sports. Um, but with that, Sam, I'll let you get out of here. So again, thank you for joining. And, and listeners, please pick up those books by Sam. All right. All right. Good luck. Good to talk to you. Take care. Take care. <laughs> 
All right. So that concludes today's podcast. I want to thank Sam Smith again for coming on today to talk about Horace Grant's career. Uh, as you just heard, our final verdict was Horace Grant is not a Hall of Famer. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, he was a winner and he had a great long NBA career um, where he, you know, resulted in four NBA championships for him. So with that, um, if you haven't already, please just, uh, subscribe to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and um, we will talk to you next month.